Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, November 24th, 2019. I am Dan Rubin. This is Bucknuts Almost Live, our in-season Sunday morning podcast. We are going to be joined today by two of the best, the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Kerlick, and the People's Chant, Matt Baxendale. We are coming off. The Buckeyes are fresh off a huge W over Penn State at the shoe. It was not without heart-stopping moments. There were other large developments on the recruiting front as well, so we will start with the man himself, the Dean. Bill Kerlick joins us. Bill, how goes it? Very well this morning, Dan. Nice day here in Columbus. Uh, sun out. None of that rain that uh, infested the Ohio State-Penn State game. Buckeyes played through it. Uh, uh, you know, those turnovers maybe were a little bit caused by the weather, but uh, but a good morning here in Columbus. You know, you beat Penn State, you're heading for the game, and you're 11-0. and uh, If you're a Buckeye fan, you got to love it. Let's try and put the game into perspective real quick, Bill. Uh, like you mentioned, it's hard for me to get too exercised about the fumbles because I don't think they're routine. I don't expect them to happen again. And the discrepancy in yardage midway through the third quarter was just ridiculous. Ohio State basically let Penn State back in the game. How do you interpret this? Do you still have as much confidence about the Buckeyes? Do you see that stuff as flukish or an issue? Well, um, you know, when when the game got to be 21 to 17, you know, I I said to a uh, uh, coaching colleague of mine, uh, we were texting that, you know, this game would be 28 to 7 um, if it wasn't for the turnovers. But, you know, they did have those turnovers. Um, I think you're going to see a high priority this week at the Woody Hayes facility of emphasizing we cannot turn the ball over from the Ohio State coaches. Um, You know, that's the only thing that made that game uh, close, really, if an 11-point win is close. And, you know, hats off to the defense. Again, I thought the biggest, uh, I guess, point in the game was after um, uh, Fields turned the ball over again and Penn State was in point-blank range to tie that game up. But the defense rose up and got a sack there and stopped them from tying it up. They hit the field goal, yeah. But to me, it's a world of difference between being 21-21 and 21-17. And had it been 21-21, even if Ohio State scores the touchdown, as they did, Penn State's only one score away from putting the game into overtime or even winning it on a two-point conversion. So, you know, the defense was put in a tough situation there. They they got the job done, and I thought that was the key point of the game at that point. Justin Fields was the difference on offense at times, his ability to convert on third down in situations where you wouldn't expect them to are incredible. Kind of reminded me of Terrell Pryor. J.K. Dobbins was a workhorse, 36 carries. When you're looking back on this game 10 years from now, the name you're going to remember is Chase Young. I don't even know how to put into words what he did. Here's what I would like to ask you. You've been watching Ohio State football for a minute. Can you name a better defensive player that you've seen wear scarlet and gray than Chase Young? Uh, I don't know if I would say better necessarily, but I, again, I, uh, I I have such high regard for Joey Bosa. You know, I'd have to put him right there too. Um, and interesting, um, you know, I was watching ESPN this morning, and none other than the Paul Feinbaum 
said that um, it was asked, should Chase Young uh, be in New York for the ceremony? He said, absolutely. He said that uh, he's going to get my vote as being in the top three, and he said he's probably going to get my vote as, as being number two behind Joe Burrow. You know, what Chase Young has done, and they asked him, you know, despite the suspension, and he said, in the P, and he said, yeah, of course. Chase Young is one of the best players, two or three best players in the country, whether he was suspended for two games or not. And I would certainly agree with that. Let's get to the recruiting news at hand, Bill. Mayan Williams, arguably the best running back in the state of Ohio, a Cincinnati native, committed to Iowa State. He's long been discussed as a possible Buckeye. Word was needed to get moms on campus. They did that. He flipped. Give us the latest on Mayan Williams, how it fits into the running back situation. We've been talking about adding a running back here for it feels like 11 months, 364 days. Uh, Very, very much needed addition to the class. Uh, They had to get a running back in this class. Um, You know, if they don't, and as expected, J.K. Dobbins uh, goes on to the NFL, the, the depth situation at running back would have been an issue. And you, you, you've got to have at least four running backs on scholarship. Um, they get hurt. you got to have them. And especially, you know, if you're Ohio State, you're running the running back, so to speak. So that was absolutely huge in in getting a running back in the class. And, you know, some people are worried about maybe he's not a breakaway runner and maybe he doesn't have the wiggle and so on and so forth. But Mayan Williams is a good football player. He played his senior season, a lot of it, quite a bit of it, on a bad ankle. I went and saw him play um, his last, actually, prep game when he played uh, against Cincinnati LaSalle, and they and they and they won the game. Cincinnati went in woods. That was a tremendous game, and you know he was the difference. You know, he was a workhorse that game. He had uh, over 30 carries, over 150 yards. Uh, they were to the point where they were direct snapping him the ball. And he again, he was playing injured. There was some talk before the game, talking to people um, that you know would Mayan Williams play that game, and everybody agreed he's going to play because he's a warrior, and he did, and he played well. Um, you know, he's just a workhorse and uh, um, a very good addition to the a much needed addition to the program. So, what does this mean for running back recruiting going forward? You think? Well, I think they still, you know, are going to look at other running backs. So the goal all along was two running backs. Um, you know, could they still uh, flip B. John Robinson? I don't look for that to happen. But if you can, you don't turn down B. John Robinson. Um, Jameer Gibbs is still out there. Um, and and what, a, what a senior season he had. Um, so I think that they're going to continue to look. And if the right guy wants to say yes, then they'll take him. If not, then they're going to have, uh, you know, filled a much-needed void. They're going to have a running back and a good running back in the class. All right, Bill, the recruiting season is not over, but it changes now. No more home games. They'll be on the road to Ann Arbor, and they go to Indy, and after that we will see. Lay out the recruiting schedule here for the staff as we uh, head for the new year. It's not going to be on the front burner this week. I think we all know the front burner is uh, beating Michigan. You know, that's that's clearly uh, the goal now. Um, but they're still going to, you know, Mark Fantoni and his staff, they're, they're, they're working all the time, and uh, they're still going to be working on recruiting. In fact, uh, you know, while they can't host the prospects next week in Ann Arbor, um, there's going to be some prospects there, a number of prospects there that Ohio State 
is very interested in landing. And one of them, actually, a shameless plug here, this morning I put an article on our site about Bryce Steele, a uh, defensive back linebacker, high stage recruiting him with a bullet position. Uh, he told me uh, after the game, he was at the Ohio State-Penn State game, that Ohio State uh, not only is in his top five, but he said they are tied at the top for his number one spot. And guess who they're tied with? They are tied with Michigan for his top spot. And guess where Bryce Steele is going to be? next weekend after attending the Ohio State-Penn State game. He's going to be in Ann Arbor for the Ohio State-Michigan game. So, um, you know, uh, there's going to be plenty of recruits on that sideline in Ann Arbor, and the Buckeyes would like nothing better than to impress those recruits with a big win in Ann Arbor. That feels like the right place to end it. Bill, we appreciate you dedicating your time on a Sunday morning as always. Have a good one, brother. You too, Dan. We are back and joined by Matt Boxendale, the people's champ, as always on Sunday morning. He is fresh off the ice. Back, success. Oh, yeah, this one was a fun one. I feel like the Bucknuts is going to know exactly how my kids are doing at hockey because we always record this show right when we get off the rink. Well, that's what people are really tuning in for, Bax. Well, you know, I think uh, everybody always wants to see the youth of America succeed, right? <laughs> There's another team based in Columbus that we tend to follow occasionally. They had a big game yesterday. Ohio State beats Penn State 28-17. The floor is yours. Well, I came out of that game yesterday thinking that Ohio State was clearly the better football team. Uh, I don't think that that was a game where we were like, ooh, that was a close call. That was a game where we essentially were by far the better team. And it wasn't just that Ohio State outgained them by 200 yards. It was the way the game went. Uh, I don't know if that Justin Fields fumble on the goal line, if that ends up standing at 14 nothing. If Ohio State doesn't go and win that game 35 nothing, 42-7, something like that, it, it, it never at any point in time did it really strike me as Penn State being consistently threatening offensively. It felt like Ohio State was always just a play away from scoring, and, and I, I don't think Penn State could have had that go much better for them, and they still lost by 11. So I, I think we need to take a little bit of confidence in that. I mean, that first half of the game, I, I, I was at the game yesterday, and everybody's looking around like, how is this game 7 nothing? Like the Penn State fans were like, how is this game not 28 nothing? How is this not 21 nothing? This was not a game where I thought, whew, we got out of that one. Uh, I came away from this game thinking, well, we let that one be too interesting, but it wasn't like remotely a close call. At no point in time was I afraid that OSU was going to somehow lose the football game. It just was very clear that they were the better football team and they were making some mistakes. Yeah, you've echoed my sentiments basically exactly there. Ohio State gave them essentially three plays that were the difference in the game in terms of making it close. If you look at the yardage total early in the third quarter, it was 5-1, to one and Ohio State was over 300 yards. So that's not a close football game. Some guys who I think deserve credit, and you can take it from there. One, obviously, Chase Young. Two, J.K. Dobbins' workhorse effort. Three, Chris Olave's understated brilliance. It seems like every game he does something fantastic. I have a copy of this, and maybe I'll post it. I sent my friend a text, deep shot to 17 coming here, and then sent back, deep shot to 17 successful. So that was enjoyable. Also need to mention, Justin Hilliard, very cool to see him get that interception late. It's kind of a good karma play, I felt like. And the guy who had a good game that may not get enough credit out of this is Pete Werner. He did an yep. excellent job covering Friar Moose. Pete Werner made himself some cash today. Also want to give credit to Jeffrey Okuda and Sean Wade for the job they did primarily on KJ Hamler. Are you worried about the fumbling? Maybe that's what I should ask. Yeah, I, I, this year up to this point, Justin Fields in 10 games had three total turnovers. 
and he had three fumbles on his own yesterday, two of which were lost. Uh, the fumbles were the story of that game because you had a fumble by Fields that was seven points off the board for OSU. You had a fumble by Dobbins, which 12 yards later was a touchdown. And then you had a fumble by Fields that, again, another like 10 yards was all Penn State gained, and that resulted in three more points. So that is literally a 17-point swing. So if you look at the game, realistically speaking, that was, what, 35-7? to 7? Something like that would have been the outcome? So I think the fumbles, right now, at least they're an isolated thing to me. Uh, the first two fumbles in the third quarter as well came right after it started kind of misting, and, it, you know, that, that initial slick, I guess. So, and if you notice, Dobbins put gloves on right after his fumble as well. And I'm also not convinced that that second field fumble wasn't that he was down already, and the referees kind of just let it be. There were two reviews yesterday on fumbles with knees down that I wasn't really sure on. One on the Penn State touchdown where it looked like he was short of the goal line, and then the other one was that Fields one where I was like, I think his knee's down. I, I don't know if they can call that a fumble, but they did. Um, I'm not concerned about the fumbles right now because that just was – I think it was a little bit of byproduct of it. It just started to get misty, so there's a little bit of a slickness to it. I mean, also, candidly, hey, they haven't done not, not done that all year. So it's not like there's some track record. It's not like when it was like Beanie Wells' freshman year and he had fumbleitis or something. We were worried about him getting the ball against Michigan, right? It's a different story here. So, um, But I do want to echo a couple things you said there. Pete Warner was the story of this game. I have a, a big portion of the buckets written towards this for the bucket of bullets later. Pete Warner was the key to that defense yesterday because if Pete Warner couldn't handle Fryermuth, then they would have been forced to put somebody like Sean Wade on him, which would have allowed Penn State to match Hamler up differently inside. Because Hamler's often a slot guy, right? And so Wade was on Hamler a lot yesterday. And they were able to keep Wade on Hamler yesterday and pretty much bottle him up and contain him. I think he only had three catches, right? And the reason they were able to do that was because of the way that Pete Warner played in that game on Firemuth. He was excellent. That was as good a football game as he could have played uh, against a tight end of that caliber. I mean, that was exceptional. Um, I do think that uh, this is a nitpick, but when we're finally playing a little closer game for the first time in Ryan Day's 14-0 Buckeye career, I'm going to nitpick something here. The passing game was there all day yesterday, all day. And they only attempted 11 passes per half. And maybe they just figured they, need, they didn't want to show Penn State much, I mean Michigan much on film. They just run the ball right at Penn State and it'd be fine. But when your quarterback and your top tailback combine for 57 carries and you only attempt 22 passes, that seems like quite the dichotomy and a lack of balance. And it wasn't like they were having bad success with the ball in the air. The truth is, uh, Fields went 16 for 22. He threw for 190 yards and two touchdowns. They could have thrown all over Penn State, but for whatever reason, they chose not to. Uh, Penn State also, the strength of that defense is their run defense. They had a top 10 run defense nationally. And to OSU's credit, they ran for 230 yards against them. But that's a Penn State defense that was like 80th in the country against the pass coming into this game. OSU had all kinds of opportunities to throw the ball in this game, and they just chose not to. And that was a conscious decision in the game plan that they were going to run the ball right at Penn State. I'm not sure why they did that. Maybe they figured it would be safer to run the ball, and hence the fumbles coming back to karmically bite them for being a little too conservative. I don't know. But if OSU had chosen to open it up and throw the ball, they could have thrown the ball all day over Penn State yesterday. No question about it. I mean, even some of the incompletions were drops that hit guys in the chest, right? So uh, in the end, I think the best way to sum up that Penn State game was that's a good Penn State team that OSU played. It's not a great one. It's probably a top 10 to 15 team in reality. But OSU was clearly better than them. I mean, it wasn't like like that Penn State team was somebody who we, we got out of that game and we're thinking we escaped after playing poorly and losing the turnover battle. The, it was kind of a, a nuisance that the turnover battle was that way. You know, I've talked all year about how we haven't had, quote, unquote, the fear, you know, that pit in your stomach. I didn't get that yesterday. Even when Penn State closed at 21-17, I went, 
all right, well, they're going to get their shit together, and this will be fine. And in the end, they got their stuff together, and it was fine. You know, it was a game where OSU was always in control, and even when they were having their own mistakes, oh, well. In fact, if anything, you want to spin this positively. I'm glad they made these mistakes this week instead of next week against a Michigan team that's playing a lot better than Penn State is. And also, all the pressure coming along with the rivalry. Look, this is stuff to work on this week. This is stuff for them to get better on this week. This is stuff that will keep them focused this week. And our biggest concern and fear about that game next week for the longest time has been complacency. You don't have to worry about that right now after a game like this where they did not perform to the level that we all know they're capable of. Yeah, I never got the feeling in my stomach either. Even when it was 21-17, I looked at the clock, and you're midway through the third quarter, and Penn State just doesn't have the horses to sustain that. And their offense really didn't do a damn thing. Right. One driver exactly. of the tackling was terrible, and that was it. I will let you have a minute here to describe the tsunami that is Chase Young. <laughs> well, seven sacks in two straight games against top 15 teams. I mean, that's insane, right? Like, can you think of a player who's ever been that dominant in such big games? Wisconsin was ranked, what, like 12th or something when they came here, 10th, something like that? And then this was a top 10 Penn State team, and he has seven sacks in those two games. Like, I don't care what the Heisman voters end up voting. That's the best player in the country. Period. Without a doubt, without question, that is the best player in the country is Chase Young. And I don't really think anybody can argue that at this point. When you have seven sacks against two top 15 teams in your last two games, well, look out Shea Patterson. That's about all i got to say about him. They know Chase is coming, too. It's not like uh, they show up to the game and like, who's number two? So they're planning for it and still can't stop it. I don't remember a time when everyone fully agreed in the country that this one defensive player was the best player in the country. Maybe Jadavian Clowney was considered the most talented. I don't remember people saying he was the best. South Carolina didn't play enough big games, maybe. But in terms of, like you said, Chase's ability to thrive in the spotlight, he was incredible. I mean, I don't even know how you would attempt to block the guy. He's just a superhero. Okay, in terms of the national scene, I guess the only game that really matters to Ohio State on some level was Arizona State beating Oregon. You're going to have OSU, LSU, Clemson, and Georgia in the Final Four. Do you think the order will change? Well, I mean, Georgia stunk yesterday against Aggie and managed to come out of it. I mean, Jake Frome was below 500 passing. I mean, that's insane. Everybody talks about how good Jake Fromm is, but, I mean, I think the first half he was like 6-17 to 17 in that game, and they won 19-13 to 13 over the Indiana of the SEC. So uh, there's a lot of talk about Georgia being, oh, what happens if Georgia beats LSU? I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way Georgia's going to beat LSU, even with LSU's defensive issues. Georgia's not that good. And, I, candidly, I don't think most of the SEC East is that good. You know, Florida's a team that plays pretty good defense but doesn't do much offensively. The rest of the teams suck, and then there's Georgia. And Georgia, to this point, look, they beat an Auburn team. Everybody talks about Auburn, too. Auburn is a true freshman quarterback. True freshman quarterbacks, no matter how good the defense are with them, is usually going to end up at 8-4, and four, which is about where Auburn's going to end up this year. So I think Georgia's a bit of a, bit of a you know, wet paper bag there. I, I don't have a lot of belief in Georgia actually being the fourth-best team in America. Uh, we didn't learn anything about Alabama. They were, they were going to beat Western Carolina with or without having uh, two in the lineup by 60 points. I mean, they could have had two. I'm assuming two his little brother played. I didn't pay any attention to that game other than the final score. Uh, Alabama's going to stay at five, I think, no matter what this week. I think the bigger question is going to be, how do they handle Utah now? How do they handle Oklahoma now? Because Oregon losing hurts the Pac-12. And I hate to say it because it shouldn't hurt Utah. Because Utah is going to go out and they've got uh, Colorado next week who they're going to beat. Colorado's five and six. They suck. And if Utah goes out and beats Oregon, Utah at 12 and 1 should have a resume to get in because their only loss, by the way, is to an 8 and 4 USC team that will finish ranked. Um, that's not a horrible loss. A road loss to USC 
when they ended up being seven and two in, in Pac-12 play is a pretty good, pretty good loss on your resume if you want to go that way. Um, but Oklahoma is another interesting one because Oklahoma is now going to finish with ranked Oklahoma State and Bedlam, and then they're going to have Baylor again, who is a ranked team in the in the Big 12 championship game. What happens if Oregon beats Utah? Is Oklahoma going to get the four spot? Is it going to be Alabama? Is it going to be who the heck knows, right? The fourth spot, it's almost like nobody really is that great that deserves that fourth spot right now. Are you going to put a Bama team in with a weaker defense and a backup quarterback? I, I don't I don't know about that. So from a national perspective, I think it's going to be real interesting to see who wins the Big 12 and who wins the Pac-12 because with one of those conferences producing a 12-1 and champ, that team has a pretty strong argument to be the four seed, uh, particularly if, if only one of those conferences comes out of there with a one-loss champ. And here's the other real question. What happens if Oregon beats Utah, right, and Baylor is the 12-1 and team out of the, pack, or the Big 12? I feel like the committee has zero respect for Baylor. There's no way they jump them over Alabama, right? I don't think so, no. Yeah, I could see Oklahoma, but I couldn't see Baylor. I don't want to empty the gun here because we're going to be dealing with this all week, but your early thoughts on the game. I wish we could have played them in early October when they were complete trash. Uh, <laughs> let's be honest here. Since that, that Penn State game where they nearly came back uh, – you know, the story is and the narrative is is that they're a different football team. The sad part is it seems somewhat true. Um, we watched them go to overtime with Army, watched them get murdered by Wisconsin. We watched Penn State come out and beat them with the stick for the first half of, the, of their game. And then since then, what has Michigan done? They've gone out and they've actually been a pretty good football team. And granted, they haven't played anybody particularly good. Um, and I don't give Notre Dame credit for being particularly good. I watched that game in the rain. And Notre Dame had no interest in being there. Like, I've never seen a team care less about a football game at that high level. But Michigan's last four games that they've won, they've won by an average of 30 points. Um, their defense is clearly making some adjustments instead of being the, I'm just going to put man in your face and blitz seven guys and hope I don't get caught like they did last year, which resulted in 62 points for the Buckeyes. Um, right now, I, I think you can make the argument that they're the second best team in the league. Like, if you wanted to, if you did a power ranking of teams you don't want to play tomorrow in the Big Ten, obviously OSU is one. I'd argue right now number two is Michigan. So, regrettably for the Buckeyes, they're peaking right now, and you could have crushed them earlier in the year. They'd played them in September or October. It would have been a four or five touchdown game. But they've gotten their stuff together to whatever extent their stuff can get together, too. And, you know, it's it's the kind of game where, like, my my heart is very concerned because I have never taken this game lightly, ever. We can talk about how this team wants the number one seed, wins the national championship. If they've already won the Big Ten East, candidly, this game doesn't matter in the big picture. They could lose this game and go on and win the Big Ten and then make the playoff and win the national title. And it's still a crap year because you would lose to Michigan. So that people need to stop talking about that as like an option. We cannot lose this football game. This is the season in a nutshell. If you're a great Buckeye team, you beat Michigan, period. And you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, my heart says this is going to be a one-score kind of game. My brain looks at me and goes, dude, look at the different statistics for these teams. Michigan's offense against good defenses does nothing. They scored... 14 on a top 15 Wisconsin defense. They scored 10 on a top 10 Iowa team. They scored 21 on a, a top 10 Penn State scoring defense, right? OSU is the top scoring defense in America. So you'd have to think that it's going to be very difficult for Michigan to break 20 points in this game. Um, and that's the, that's just the logic part of it, right? If I'm an uninformed observer without an emotional interest invested in this team who lives in Arizona, I'd be sitting here saying, yeah, OSU is going to win 41 to 21 or something, right? But uh, I'm, I, I think they're going to be ready to play in this game. I think the Buckeyes are also going to be ready to play at their best after coming off a Penn State game or maybe they didn't execute as well as they could have. 
for fear of sounding like a nervous Nelly, I think the Buckeyes are clearly the better team. I'm just hoping that's the way it plays out on the field. To me, this seems like a game where it's a fairly tight one through most of the game. OSU maybe scores late, pull ahead by a couple scores. But this is a game where the fear will probably be there. And maybe the fear is just there because I see those winged helmets and it makes me forget seven in a row and the fact that OSU is statistically the most dominant team in the country and statistically could be the most dominant team in, in like the last 60 years in terms of margin of victory if they continue what they're doing. But this is the game. This is all that matters this season right now. I don't care about the playoff stuff right now. You need to beat Michigan. And I, I think it's going to be a tighter game than I want it to be or that my brain indicates it to be. And maybe that's just me being nervous. But buckle up, people. It's going to be a big week, that's for sure. Here are my two vibe. One, as you mentioned earlier, the passing game was there all day. J.K. Dobbins had 36 carries today. I think you're going to see an aerial assault in Ann Arbor. They're going to go over the top constantly. And secondly, if Michigan has the same plan to block Chase Young that Penn State did, the only thing they're going to have in common is their quarterback is not going to make it through the game. It's going to be a great week. Followed by the game. Have a good one, Bucknutters.